Hey, this is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And before we start the show, we'd like to bring your attention to some cool conferences we're going to be at in Europe. Specifically, NDC happening June 12th through the 16th in Oslo, Norway. All the usual suspects will be there. Hey, and they even let us in. But don't hold that against them. No. Well, this is their big show, Richard, the original NDC. Yeah, which we've been going to for like eight years. That's right. We don't know exactly what we'll be doing yet. But you can expect a great panel discussion. Yeah, and of course, we'll be in the fishbowl making some great .NET rock shows for your listening pleasure. So go to ndcoslo.com and register now. And save some money and register before March 17th for early bird pricing. And for more great NDC conferences, go to ndcconferences.com. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, we're coming to you from our respective studios today. Mm-hmm. Good to be home. Yeah, good to be home. And uh, what can I say? Well, you know, I always ask you, what's new with you? Yeah, what's new with you, buddy? Oh, nothing. Okay, excellent. <laughs> we're, we're putting this show out at the end of February. The only traveling I'm doing for February is to go down to Redmond to do interviews for the book. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I imagine by the time this show comes out, I will have dozens of more hours of recording. So, uh, let's see. What is Brandon is sort of back, and every time Brandon comes to town, you know, he travels the world. Brandon yeah. is our engineer. He yeah. introduces Run As Radio. He's been editing .NET Rocks for a long time. Brandon Wen. Every time he comes back, um, I walk into the studio, and it's magically. M- meticulously clean. He is. A, he's a cleaner. He is a cleaner. I, I don't. I, I don't know where things are. <laughs> <laughs> That's because they're put away properly. Well, it's sometimes improperly, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they're put away, and that's amazing. <laughs> yes, it's a little OCD there, just a little. He's a little. He's actually CDO, which is OCD, but in alphabetical order. Yes. Because like yes. it's supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> if you were actually OCD, you wouldn't have commented right now. It's, it's. Just saying. All right, um, let's roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, Dave, what do you got? Well, I'm fairly sure that as of this recording, which is at the end of January, that neither of you guys may have known about this. So that makes me a little happy because it's very new. Maybe you okay. have. It's prepack, prepack.io. Anyone? Nope. Anyone? Mm-mm. Bueller? No. What? what? All right. So this is a Facebook open source project. Oh my. It's a tool for making JavaScript code run faster. Okay. And they <laughs> and the, the first statement about it is prepack is still in early development and not ready for production just yet. Hmm. Please try it out, give feedback, and help fix bugs. When do you think that line's going to go away? Probably right. Yeah. <laughs> so, although Gmail was in beta for years, is it still in beta? I don't yeah, know. I don't know. How do After you tell? After 10 years? Yeah. All right. So, what this does is it optimizes JavaScript code. So, okay. computations that can be done at compile time instead of runtime can be eliminated, replaces global code of a javascript bundle with equivalent code that's simple um so it's really for okay you've got your app done now we want to push it to production however there are things that can be optimized right because we're 
doing calculations or whatever that don't need to be done. But it's literally rewriting your code. That's it is not dangerous at all. Writing your code. Yeah. yeah. This looks like a strange loop thing, doesn't it? Yeah, it sort of does. I mean, yeah. it's an optimization thing, right? It's not, you, you don't want to view source and look at that and say, oh, I understand what they're doing. <laughs> you know, that's probably well, not going to happen. Yeah, you know, you, first you run it through prepack, and then you run it through an obfuscator, obfuscator. and then you really don't understand your code. Like, what the heck is this? <laughs> then you debug it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nothing's going to break. It'll be fine. Right. Really so, interesting. It is interesting, but it also speaks to this idea that these preprocessors and, and transpilers have really just got to a ridiculous level, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah Java, it ain't, it ain't your granddad's JavaScript, that's for sure. Yeah, and just, you know, the whole minifying thing was like the first thing. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I don't need yeah. to see it, so minify it, yep. Yeah, make it small as possible. Make it as small as possible. Now we're optimizing for speed, really, for right, performance. rewriting. Ah. <sighs> Jeez, and I used to have a company that did this. I'm JavaScript really is the assembly language of yeah. the web. Thank you, Scott yeah. Hanselman. There you go. Assembly yeah. language optimization. Yeah. All right, cool. man, who's talking to us today? Grabbed a comment off the show, 1493, published back in November of 2017, talking about Docker tools for .NET Core with Kendra Havens. Mm -hmm. Got a lot of good comments on that show. And here's one from Ken Dudley who says, this sounds wonderful. Can you install third-party database drivers like Informix and make direct connections to the database on a client machine? So I think he's describing having an app running a container on a client machine, then calling out to a database. Mm. I know you're not supposed to do this, but this mm -hmm. is how they did it back in the good old days, which, you know, clearly is speaking to an existing application he wants to containerize. And he goes on to describe it. I have Delphi code that was made back in the good old days. Are you able to change the registry entries in a container for the clients to read what you put in there? How is the app deployed? Do you use stuff like click once or app V51? Many choices there. And, and Kendra actually responded to that at the time. She said... Uh, that you can configure the registry for a container, but it does have some limitations. There's guidance from in the Docker docs. There's lots of choices on how to deploy apps and containers, namely centered on the orchestrator, which fits well with your setup. Uh, and you can read more about orchestrators as well, because of course we think about Docker and containers and so forth on the server side, but sure. clearly Ken's thinking about it on the client side. Uh, ever since I heard about containers, I've, I've thought about app virtualization on the client side. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's it's important. It's, and it's, it's difficult. It's uh, yeah. Application virtualization as a whole is just this. I think it's an area ripe for you know advancement because disruption. They, we're we're at a point now where deploying to the desktop is just not worth the pain. Yeah. You know, really when I look isn't. at progressive web apps and where that's gotten to, it's like look, Chrome's already on the machine. I can send apps through Chrome and not deal with all that other stuff. I'm going to do that. But I don't know that we're better off that way. Well, and the more and more stuff we can access from the browser that was in the realm of uh, yeah, desktop, desktop client. Only. Yeah, desktop yeah. only. The the more compelling that statement and that, that option is. Absolutely. Anyway, good good thinking. And I'm glad that, that folks like Ken are thinking about it. So, Ken, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We rewrite them. <laughs> on the what? fly we virtualize them in containers 
<laughs> That's right. We optimize the grammar. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could have said that in less characters. Yeah, it's it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that'd be fair. But we send your tweet back with red markup. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's introduce our guest. Rob Richardson is a software craftsman building web properties in ASP.NET and Node, Angular, and React. He's a Microsoft MVP, a published author, frequent speaker at conferences, user groups, and community events, and a diligent teacher and student of high-quality software development. You can find this and other talks on his blog at robrich.org slash presentations, and follow him on Twitter at rob underscore rich. Welcome, Rob. Thanks. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here, and I can tell this is going to be a fun show <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, and I got to say nice things about Rob because he did host humanitarian toolbox hackathons back in the day. I guess it's been, was it back in 2016? My goodness. How did we get to be so old? Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Good stuff. Good fun. Rob, how did you come to know the humanitarian toolbox and how did that all happen? It was actually pretty cool. We were hanging out at the um, speaker dinner around Nebraska Code. Oh, and yeah. Um, yeah. James said, hey, I'm doing this hackathon instead of... Um, the pre-conference workshops and i said oh that sounds really cool let me jump in so you know knowing zero about the project i jumped in and and got to do the stuff the more that i got into it it was like i want to host one of these where i come from too and so yeah we hosted a similar event in our town yeah i was at nebraska co-camp with james chambers and yeah. so uh yes. rob joined in with us and we and then, then that led to more so we propagated onward and it's still going on. You know, we did it. We did a codeathon down in Brighton, UK, after NDC. That's really cool. Um, so, Rob, what do you think about the comment that Richard read? Um, are we ever going to get to containers on the desktop doing anything uh, client side significant? You think? I think it's an interesting opportunity. It's definitely not there yet. Right now, containers are about command line processes, which works really well for server apps. And you know, every time I say that, everyone brings up the X demos where they have an X server running on their, on their desktop and an X client in a container, and they're like, "Look, it's a GUI app." Right. Uh, I think it's cool, and I I would like to go in that direction of a UI containerized app. I think I think that could be really really cool. We've experimented a lot in that space, and we've not really landed on a technology that could do it yet. But you know. I think Docker could pull it off. I think containers could make it happen because it is so pervasive on the server. Yeah. I want to go back to um, something you guys may or may not remember. Do you remember there was in the days of modems before the internet, there was a technology, and I think it was Prodigy used it, that basically sent UI uh, information metadata over the, the modem and then some sort of container, basically HTML-like, you know, built the user interface, but it was like graphical, it was native and all that. It wasn't, it wasn't exactly HTML. It wasn't exactly in the browser, but they had the right idea where they hmm. were basically sending, you know, UI tags across, but with, with a, a lot of rich information. That's pretty cool. We've tried it a couple of ways. You know, do we send screenshots and mouse clicks or do we send content and, um, you know, Ajax requests, or right. do we send, or both. do we just install the app locally? You know, it it is a hard problem to solve. Definitely a hard problem. Yeah, I remember implementing real VNC over, oh, yeah. with modem to modem links. Yeah. 
like 52k modem. I mean, the, at the end of modems when they were about as fast as they could go. Yeah. And yeah. they literally were just sending keyboard and mouse strokes and then reading the Windows pipeline to draw on the screen. Which, you know, could, I mean, depending on what you're doing can be really difficult. I know yeah. VNC, sometimes if it's really slow, you can see it redrawing square by square yeah. the screen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, just, it does parcel up the bitmap parts of a, of a form or something and send it out chunk by chunk. And I got to admit, when I, I wrote a book on sockets programming in 1994 and uh, 1990 something, I can't remember, 95. And, uh, and one of the things that I wanted to tackle in that book was just that sort of sending UI stuff, but it was way beyond the scope. And I remember my, my gut, the, the, procurement guy from Wiley and Sons was like, I think that might be a little ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've come to the point where it's like, you know, the web has kind of solved the deployment problem. We can do the majority of the brains on the server and just ship markup. Yeah. And at the point where we're shipping, well, you know, we're shipping HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, everything else, all the computation, all the horsepower, all of the, you know, do you have the latest version decisions? is all on the server. And so I can make those decisions once and all of the people who need it get that answer. I think from a deployment point of view, that is brilliant. It right. is brilliant so long as we can have access to A, the GPU, B, the audio system, the video system, yeah. like the hardware that's, a, you know, how many times do we have to download the Epson scan utility for to, <laughs> yeah. to access a scanner just because the web can't do it, you know? When we get into those, you know, hardware specific things or when we get into limited network connectivity things then yeah de having it locally is definitely a better way to go but there yeah. should be a standard for for these things like all of the things that are standard in windows you know printers device printers we have already figured out in the browser but you know scanners audio devices midi devices video devices video capture like all of these things that people like to use on their desktop that aren't within the realm of of uh, of browsers, so long as we can have, just like they make an operating system driver, a browser driver that abstracts away at a lower level, but abstracts away all the details of that, so that we're not, uh, you know, we're not jumping through hoops and we can actually do some of this stuff. It, you know, I did a bunch of work with Zen App and, and Zen Desktop, which is the Citrix App V product, yeah. and, they, and they could do that with USB. But as soon as you got into th something like AI, A ASIO, or you know anything low level to the motherboard, right? It's just no way. Well, the you know ASIO is something that can be abstracted. It has been. There's a uh, a tool out there called ASIO for all with the number yeah. four. And if the browser could recognize that, you know, you might have something there. But I, I agree, Richard. I mean, if you're doing that low level stuff, you have to have a um, an adapter interface, some sort of low level, you know, like DirectX did that. They solved that problem, right? Yeah. But you yeah. get you get to a line, I think, still, where mm -hmm. virtualization just, just doesn't make sense. Especially cross-platform. Now it becomes yeah. really difficult. Yeah, it's an interesting problem. And I think uh, it's maybe uh, beyond where containers are right now. Sure. Do we need to do a basic recap for those who still just haven't jumped on board with the, with the container story? I think it's a good move. Yeah. Um, you know, it's one of those buzzwords that I've heard in the hallway a thousand times. Yeah. But then I sit down on my machine to do it and it's like, what is that thing again? Yeah. Now what are we doing? 
But virtualization was like that at the beginning, too. And arguably, virtual is you just straight up Hyper-V or anything like that. Still way too hard. Like, you, we, it may be more known, but it is not a trivial thing to build automation around generating a VM. And so to some people, when they look at containers, they're like, is this just VM++? Mm-hmm. And we're .NET developers, so, you know, is this VM sharp? Nice. <laughs> it's more like <laughs> VM fast. <laughs> yeah. And it is so much more than that. What's interesting about containers is instead of virtualizing the BIOS and the hardware and like provisioning fake uh, virtual hard disks and virtual CPUs, instead we're sitting on top of the kernel, the Windows kernel or the Linux kernel, Mm -hmm. and we're virtualizing that. And the beauty there is that in every virtual machine, you have to install the operating system and have all of the weight of the operating system. Yeah. In a container, the operating system is already there. You only need to specify what's different between that base operating system and what you want to run. So by definition, those containers are so much lighter and leaner. They don't have all of the storage requirements of an OS, and they also don't have all of the um, runtime requirements of an OS. They're just a process. Mm-hmm. So kind of the buzzword that we lean on here is kernel virtualization. And I would argue that from a technical point of view, that's accurate. From a social point of view, that's not even touching it at all. Hmm. Um, containers as a, a platform, as a metaphor, have stretched far beyond that. Because it does really influence how you build software going forward. More, more so, I think, than VMs ever did. Right. Building a VM is hard. You know, I can't get to the point where I have a script that builds a VM. Uh, yeah, kind of. I can arguably get there. But there's a whole lot of install this and then configure that and then push next. Yeah. I can't push next from a script. Yeah, it's it's really hard to get that fully automated. And even when you get it, it's unreliable and it's slow. Then I end up with a multi-gig thing to play yeah. with. And it's like, you know, I don't want to cart around 50 gigs to be able to explain my virtual machine to you. Yeah, and it wants four gigs of your RAM and like... I'm thinking SharePoint here, like building out a full SharePoint development environment where everything is in your machine. It took a hell of a big machine because you had to run three or four sturdy VMs to really simulate what the production environment looks like. Yeah. So that sucks. Docker better. (laughs) Uh, Has Docker gotten easier to use for Windows developers in the last year or so? It really has. Um, Docker definitely was built on top of Linux. Right. But um, it's really coming of age on Windows as well. It took quite a bit of work for the Windows team to make that happen. You know, they had to build in that kind of virtualization into the kernel so that, you know, we could create these fake kernels. But they've done a great job and um, it is really coming of age there. The base container images are still a little bit too big. And so, you know, all is being equal if you're just looking at file size, building on top of Linux will definitely be easier. But, um, but Windows is definitely coming of age. Interesting. So, I mean, and that's why I found everybody that we talked to about containers and a .NET is talking about core. Like it's core all the way because yeah. they're typically deploying into a Linux instance. Yeah. Windows containers have gotten so awesome that we're um, now building on Linux. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Hey, hold that thought for one second while we take a moment for this very important message. When you're building an application, you need it to be fast, secure, and always evolving. With Kubernetes Engine on the Google Cloud Platform, developers can deploy fully managed containerized apps quickly and easily. 
Google has been running production workloads in containers for over 15 years, and they build the best of what they learn into Kubernetes, the industry-leading open-source container orchestrator. Kubernetes Engine combines automatic scaling, updates, and reliable self-healing infrastructure with open-source flexibility to cut down development cycles and speed up time to market. Learn more about Kubernetes Engine online at g.co slash getgke. That's g.co slash getgke. And we're back. Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell, .NET Rocks, all awesome. We're talking to Rob Richardson about Docker and containers and uh, started off with the, the comment about containers on the client, now uh, talking about Docker and how good it's gotten in the last year or so. And uh, wh what are the typical stumbling blocks or the, maybe the psychological stumbling blocks that keep people away from containers? It's a lot of, you know, wrapping your head around that concept. Um, you know, I get VMs. I get that I have this fake thing. And so why are containers better? Why are containers different? Um, then there's the steps of, you know, okay, so now let me pop open the tooling and understand how it works. Because it grew up on Linux, it's really comfortable on the command line. And right. we suffered with this with Git as well. You know, we all wanted our pointy clicky Git tools. And so, you know, we're all now reaching for our pointy clicky Docker tools too. And, and so we're kind of building that up over time, but it is really comfortable on the command line. And mm -hmm. some people may really struggle with that. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the main thing. And you get into games with PowerShell and so forth when you want to really set stuff up. But that's what also makes it repeatable. Like, you really want this to be completely automated. Right. By the way, PowerShell is really awesome. Mm -hmm. And as a developer, I sort of shied away from it for a while. But the more I got into it, man, it's just so great. I mean, if you think of a shell with variables and, and NuGet and, uh, you know, the whole idea of just being able to load modules up and, and execute them. Uh, it's very cool. Yeah, to be able to pipe objects back and forth between scripts is really cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's an, it's an important power. And so that's kind of the what makes Docker really cool is you start with that Docker file that is configuration as code. Right. And you specify in really easy to, you know, it's not English, <laughs> but just a few verbs gets you to the point where you can build out your hardware in a very repeatable way. Docklish. And so you, yeah. <laughs> You craft your Docker file, and then you say Docker build that file, and it builds an image. That then is the binary blob that you can ship around in all the places that has all of your content configured just so. You know, you can build your Snowflake in here. Mm -hmm. And so the Docker file allows you to build really consistently into those images. At that point, those images are wonderful because that's where you can share them. Docker Hub is the registry of choice for most people, but you can use private registries as well. And so you push images up to Docker Hub or you pull images down from Docker Hub and you can start to build on top of those images as well. So, you know, social coding, what GitHub brought to Git, Docker Hub has brought to Docker, this social coding experience of containers. And then I fire up that image into a container, a runtime piece, and now I have that exact same environment that I specified in my Docker file running wherever I'm running my container. Right. And this is where we get into that configuration as code's power is now the same configuration that runs in production can be run in the dev environment and the QA environment. So that, there's a whole class of failures or errors that just don't occur once you have common infrastructure like that. Right. 
And there's always going to be the, oh, sorry, not that database, this database connection right. string kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah. the that file isn't in the right directory anymore. You know, all those classes of problems go away. Right. I very specifically placed my files in the places where they need to go. I've launched it on my machine and validated that it works that way. Mm-hmm. I just shipped the container. You set an environment variable that sets the connection string differently, and you're running the exact same experience. The version of the OS, the versions of frameworks, like all of that stuff is documented as part of that Docker template. Right. So what makes it different in when you're trying to do this in Windows? Is it the server container stuff or Hyper-V? Like is, is there additional complexity for actually doing this all the way through Windows? It's actually really cool. From the Docker file perspective, I just say from and then my image name. Right. And so if I'm building a Windows container, I just say from a Windows-based image. Okay. And ultimately, they bubble up down through um, Nano Server or Windows Server Core. And what's the preferred one these days? I thought Nano Server was kind of going away. Nano Server is going away as a host OS because, you know, nobody really wanted to run it that way. Right. But it's ideal as a guest OS, as a container base image, because it's so small. Right. It's, you know, one gig where uh, Windows Server Core is 10 gigs. Nice. Huge difference. Yeah. But uh, it does come with some prices because there's a bunch of stuff not in Nano Server. There is. You don't have any of the 32-bit stuff. You don't have any of the UI stuff. You know, Windows Server Core was cool in taking away the UI, but it didn't take all of it away. I still had a mouse. Right. Nano Server has no mouse. Yeah. And no UI of any kind. Right. And the downside to that is because it has no UI, there's no GDI Plus in there. Right. Because there's no GDI Plus, there can be no full framework. So that's usually where we get caught up. Nano server can't run full framework apps. It has to run core. Because nano server can't run full framework. Okay. I also have discovered uh, with apps that I've moved over to core that you quickly find out when you run on nano server if you're really free of 32-bit stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And free of um, Windows stuff. Yes. Because it's like, oh, yeah, the backslash went the other way. Sorry. Yep. It's just like all of all of those little things. Like I've, well, that's when we discovered that one of our drivers was actually a 32-bit driver. So even though we were compiling to 64-bit, running on a 64-bit ver- version of Windows, and so forth, this 32-bit call was just being thunked. It just worked. But you fire it up in Nano. Nope. No and go. that's yep. what Stack Overflow is for. <laughs> <laughs> Paste your error in Stack Overflow. Nice. And then get John Skeet to run your container. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) If you can pull that off, man, you're a rock star. But uh, yeah, in a lot of ways, I think the work it goes into making something run a nano server is very worthwhile from the sense that you really kind of have your app in a pretty tight box. But it's also a show, got to be a showstopper for a lot of existing apps looking to migrate here. Like it's just too hard for, for certain dependencies. It is. And people run into similar things as they're going from full framework to .NET Core. You know, it's like that one DLL that I can't pull in because it references something weird. Or yep. once they're on .NET Core running, uh, moving from Windows to Linux, it's like, oh, yeah, I reached into the registry there. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are all little showstoppers that'll just hunch down and, 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 and hit you there. The 10 gigs, the regular... Uh, template is the end of the world. It's not like you're running one for each container. It's a shared thing. Yeah, right. Docker has this concept of layers, which is really, really cool. And because I'm building on top of a layer and that layer is ephemeral, it doesn't change. Once I get that layer on disk, 
I have that layer. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I download Windows Server Core, the 10 gigs, once per server, and I've got it. All of the containers built on top of Windows Server Core, I'm only storing the diff between that layer and whatever I built on top of it. Yeah, and that's, you know, when I think about building out a rig to be self-contained so, so that you're doing your dev rig and you have different instances of different things, you can fit a lot more containers in your average developer desktop machine than you could with VMs. Oh, yeah. Because you have that image, that base image once, and that's all you need. Right. But do you granulate the application differently when you go to containers? Like there's more of them anyway? You can. And that's one of the things that makes Docker so wonderful. Because we've solved the deployment problem, we can start to think differently about how we architect our applications. Sure. We can build it in smaller pieces because it's not like, you know, okay, now <laughs> pencils down, everybody. <laughs> We're now going to go through this big deployment process. It's like, well, you know, yeah, I spun up another thing. Launch that container too. Right. And so we can start to think in smaller pieces. And really quickly, we get to this mesh of microservices. And so our application is no longer one thing. It's this mesh. And that is so wonderful from a um, social point of view. That's really transformative. Yeah, it certainly could be. I mean, so long as it doesn't get away from you. It's something that I bring up again and again is just how... You, you have to stay on top of these sort of uh, composed systems that have microservices everywhere so that you, they don't run away from you. It's a challenge. Oh, yeah. There's that one step that nobody understands again. Yeah, exactly. And we had this problem back in the early VM days, too, where there was just this propagation of virtual machines. Right. You know, you, there was a natural gatekeeper when it was bare hardware in the sense that you couldn't rack and stack into my rack unless you got my permission. But once I gave people, you know, the ability to spin up their own VMs, they did. And they yeah. didn't spin them down. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yes. It's time to configure the mid-show joke template so that its requested laugh level is at least 90%. And I'll do a Docker build here. And, oh, error. The Docker laugh level is less than the minimum required by Compose. Your current project <laughs> requires a Docker laugh level of at least 1% or greater. <laughs> yeah. I love that you have static tests. Yeah, I do. Of course. <laughs> I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to get Was it to build, Was that an audio man. joke? <laughs> that was a joke as a service, man. I'm trying to get it to build. That's all. That's all. <laughs> I just can't. Can I just it. comment out that unit test? <laughs> <laughs> well, now it builds. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a D Experience subscription from Dev Express to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. Become a UI superhero with DevExpress UI controls and libraries and deliver elegant.net solutions that address customer needs today and leverage your existing knowledge to build next-generation touch-enabled solutions for tomorrow. Whether it's an office-inspired application or a data-centric analytics dashboard, DevExpress Universal ships with everything you'll need to build your best without limits or compromise. And check out their DevExtreme React grid, built from the ground up to fully support all the cool features that come with React, like the virtual DOM and state controllers like Redux. It supports master detail, sorting, grouping, paging, and editing, and you can check it out for free on GitHub. But learn more and download your free 30-day trial of DevExpress Universal at devexpress.com slash superhero. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner, Richard, Peter Tate. Congratulations, Peter. 
Yes, Peter. Clappers for you. Clappers for you, Peter. Peter just won the D Experience subscription. That's a big pile of awesome from our friends at DevExpress just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you don't know what that is, go to .NET Rocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And we like to ask our guests also, Rob, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? What would I buy with $5,000? I went a thousand ways with this, you know, $5 a piece, (laughs) and came up with a bunch of cool things. I think what I'm going to choose is I would sponsor an AZ Give Camp. Um, AZ Give Camp brings volunteer developers together with charities who otherwise couldn't afford software services. We start Friday after work building software. Sunday afternoon, we deliver completed solutions back to those charities. Wow. Sleep is optional, caffeine provided. That sounds like a great weekend. One of the hardest parts that we have with that now is convincing people that we're not Nigerian princes. Yeah. We have the same problem. (laughs) We've been there, yeah. (laughs) And so uh, I'm like, no, really, I want to give you free software. No, really, I want you to come feed developers that are building free software. And everyone's like, no, what's the catch? Yeah. Yeah. And so it's really hard for us to get sponsors and charities now. Hmm. That's very interesting. It's an interesting challenge just to sort of convince people that they, you know, I think you got to lead with your motivation. Look, this is what I do want. All right. This is why I'm doing this. But uh, yeah, it is is an interesting problem when you're being generous like that and folks just like, "Mm, can't be true. No, too good to be true. But it's so much fun. You know, I have some downtime. I'm, you know, I just want to geek out with something. Well, let me geek out by building something for a charity that then will use it forever. You know, ours is a force multiplier industry. And so, you know, using my downtime for good is really cool. Yeah, Yeah, it is awesome. Good stuff. Great idea. Thanks. Uh, Where were we? Oh, we were just getting to the point of now with you start re-architecting your application to sort of go to the container size and that's going to spawn up a lot more containers so what's the right size for a container like is it a container per service what what does that look like (laughs) that's one of those questions like um what's the right size of coffee mug larger well (laughs) yeah the size that the boss said so right Um, in general containers are one process and yeah. the beauty of making them one process is that the Docker engine or the orchestrator that you're looking at can monitor that process. Right. And when that process goes down, it says, hey, that container is unhealthy and it can do different things. So if I'm thinking one process, then that process is, you know, one website or one service or one, you know, database thing. And so at that point, now it's like, well, if I have this microservice kind of thing, how big is a microservice? one concept maybe and you can experiment with that and make um make wrong choices on both sides and so you know ten thousand containers running your um, order entry system is probably excessive yeah but one is also definitely the wrong choice yes so somewhere i i tend to want to organize by likelihood of change so you know if there's a set of services that are oh that only apply to shipping Mm-hmm. And any change, which means that if, it, if there's a change to shipping, it'll happen there. 
as opposed to we've broken it up into multiple pieces, uh, multiple instances. And that way, when I make a change, I have to change all of them. Where if you over-concentrate, any change affects all of the services. And then, you know, you're constantly rolling out new versions of everything. Right. If you're deploying all of your containers every time, then you're definitely doing it wrong. Yeah, there's a granulation problem that's that's wrong there. And, I, and so I tend, I tend to focus on change. I don't know if you think that way. But it's just like, for yeah. architecturally, that seems to be the pain point. I look at the seams in the organization, the seams in the product. Right. You know, maybe login is different from customer maintenance, is different than order entry. And so those are good pieces to kind of grab big hunks off of. Yeah. And then you may want to split that some more as, and here's where I go, is a level of scale. Sure. A container is a great way to scale something. You know, I can do two instances of this or 20 instances of this. Right. And so if it's a product, if it's a, a module that is isolated in that way, and I can say, you know, I can scale this piece up or down, then that's great. If I need to spin up 20 pieces of my login to be able to support 20 pieces of the, my inbox, that's probably a mistake. That seems a little excessive. And it's not like any of these decisions are permanent either. It's not easy to shuffle you know, different classes between different container blocks, but it's not impossible either. Right. So I think you'd start to see and they where aren't, you, you had those problems. They aren't long-lived. They're intended to be these short-lived pieces. Right. So not a big deal to take them up and down. They're ephemeral. So yeah, rip them all down, spin right. up all new ones. Well, I also think, you know, I come from an e-commerce perspective where one of our main goals was continuous uptime. Mm -hmm. So how do you update this application that's doing transactions every minute of every day? And the, and I, that's where granu the correct granulation really made a difference. That there was the fewest number of things that needed to be taken down and brought back up with a new version uh, without causing an outage per se. And that's one of the things that's really cool about Docker is because I have this hardware as a service type of platform that is right. not super expensive to spin up new things. Yeah. I can spin up the new one first, check to see how it's doing, maybe start doing A-B testing, maybe start draining traffic off the old onto the yeah. new. And if it is doing okay, I can keep going. Yeah. And at the point where I've got all the traffic on the new system, I can shut off the old one. And so I don't need to do this hard, take it down, cut over, put it up type of experience. I can just move over gradually. For better or worse, you know, session cookies was a great mechanism where, okay, if it's a, at the moment we begin a migration, anybody who's already got a cookie is going to stay on the old servers and any new cookies are going to come in on the new ones. And then, yep. we, and then over hours, sometimes we watch the workload migrate. And then eventually there was nothing running on the old one anymore. You could turn it all off. Yeah. Session cookies is per user RAM on my server though. I yep. really don't want to keep RAM for you on the off chance that I think you might come back. Yeah. Well, it got to expire at some point, but you know, you know what I mean? It's like, how do I, how yeah. do I d identify who's the new person and who's the old person and sort of maintain that state? Right. But, yeah, uh, exactly. I don't want you to save on the old system and then refresh the page on the new system. That would be a little traumatic. We did that a few times where there was sort of points where it's like, okay, now we're hopping across it. So somebody, you know, midway through the shopping process just sort of ended up on the new site and it occasionally got some interesting, you know, tech support mm -hmm. questions like, you didn't lose my order, but my world changed. <laughs> but, <laughs> yes. But, and the, the draining approach was easier. And this is pre-public cloud work we were doing. The cloud really wasn't an option yet. We just had enough hardware that we could afford to do it. Today with the cloud, right. it's just 
seems so painless. Like containers are cool on the desktop and on-prem, but containers in the cloud are amazing. Oh, yeah. And that we can blur that line, too, where I'm building a container on my dev machine. And then I'm flinging it up into the cloud when I'm done. Right. And so it's not like we now have to figure out, well, how do we, you know, opsize this container? It's just already there. Yeah, it's all, all the same. Where do you fall on the orchestrator? Are you a Swarm guy or Kubernetes guy or, or what's the other <laughs> one? Mesosphere? I love teaching this part of it because orchestration engines get to be weird. Let's take a step back and talk about what is an orchestration engine. And then I'll talk about my favorites. An orchestration engine is a thing where you can say, here's the desired state I want. Uh, and desired state configuration is a completely different thing. But I want 10 instances of this thing running. Right. And if any of them ever go down, go spin up another one. Yeah. And I could add additional rules like make sure there are cross-availability zones or cap them at a certain amount of RAM or um, kill off ones that are older than this long or you know other rules like that. That's an orchestration engine. Okay. And in the open source world, we have Kubernetes, we have Swarm, and we have Mesos. Yeah. And then we have a bunch of private ones too, like Service Fabric and Amazon Container Service. Yeah. As I teach uh, orchestration engines, I then lead it with this. You're going to walk into your IT shop, explain to them, uh, or say Kubernetes and Swarm. They're going to talk to you for an hour about what their favorite one is. And I agree, that's definitely the one for you. <laughs> the one that they're passionate about is the right one. Yes. That's a good, a great insight, Rob. The corollary to that nowadays is that Kubernetes is really starting to take hold. And so I would argue if you don't have an opinion yet, Kubernetes is probably the one that you want to look at first. The downside is Kubernetes is weirder. <laughs> the other <laughs> ones are kind of more normal Docker-ish. But Kubernetes has its own wonderful world view. Why, why, why do you think it's winning? Because it clearly is, right? All of the big cloud providers support it now. Um, I don't know. My <laughs> default fair. answer is because Google said so. Google's behind but that's it, yeah. Definitely not a good answer. No, and and remember, the Microsoft hired away the the lead guy. Brandon came is now working for Microsoft. So you know, it's like they. Right. But I, in some ways, it's like they've kind of, they've taken an open source product and all the big vendors are sort of centralizing on it, which pretty much destroys a revenue stream for anybody who wants to sell a uh, uh, an orchestrator, for better or worse. You're just going to have to learn the weird one. Yeah. Sorry, DCOS. Yeah, that's no, tough. It's going to be very hard to compete with free. Yep. Yeah. Sure. Tell that to Mozilla as well. Well, <laughs> it's gone so well for them, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, did I say that out loud? That's Netscape not right. was not something you could sell. Yeah. So, you know, they stopped. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 challenging. And I don't know that it's fair, right? Like, it's I'm not saying this is necessarily monopolistic practice, but it effectively is like market exclusionary. There's three competitors in this space, Amazon, Google, and Microsoft. And when those three, however method they go through, end up agreeing on the same thing, all the other alternatives are kind of hooped. Yeah. Yeah. What's really cool about Kubernetes, though, is it isn't limited to the cloud. I can right. install Kubernetes in my data center. I can install Kubernetes on my desktop. Right. And I can get mm. that same experience um, of moving containers back and forth and getting a feel for this. And so it kind of blurs the line nicely between on-prem and cloud. If I have a container, 
running inside of Kubernetes, I can push it back and forth. We're back to this idea that we're not locked in. Yeah, exactly. We're not locked into anybody. You know, I can run it on-prem. I can run it any cloud I want. If I'm frustrated with that cloud vendor, I can switch to a different cloud vendor. Like, there's a lot good there. I don't want to make it sound like a big conspiracy. It's, you know, it's just interesting that you, you think the vendors would want to lock in more. Well, I mean, depending on who you talk to, it's like Azure Service Fabric, that's their their favorite tool and certainly specific to them. Yeah. Yeah. But I would argue because we're getting to this consistent platform, yeah. if all the cloud vendors get on board at building really cool tooling around it, that's where you can really differentiate yourself. Less right. so on, you know, what's your orchestrator and more so on check out how awesome I plug into Kubernetes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. There is room to innovate there if they if they want to work at it. Yeah. And so the the innovation is definitely on add-on products. Uh, different storage drivers and um, orchestration methodologies and um, secret management is a big one right now, too. Sure. Sure is. Azure Key Store. Yep. That's one way. I'm a big fan of Azure Key Vault. Like, it's, it's a good tool. It is. Yeah, but, you know, you talk about platform-specific kind of service, like, this is, here's where the secrets live. That's that's certainly one of them. That's, that would be a hard part to migrate to another platform on. Exactly. So, anybody with a little creative thought um, has probably, you know, sort of predicted where containers are going in the future. A lot of that stuff has actually come true, but can you take this to a ridiculous conclusion in terms of like what can be done with containers? It, maybe not today, but in the future? It's kind of interesting that this is a packaging format. So it's like, in time, if I take this to the ridiculous conclusion, am I not downloading an app? Am I downloading a container? Mm. Maybe I'm going to the Google Play Store or the Apple iPhone Store, and I'm kind of saying, I'm not going to get an APK, I'm going to get a container. That could be kind of interesting. Right. You know, if you think about it, a hybrid app is sort of running in a container, isn't it? Effectively. It's running in a sandbox. I would argue probably not a container. Yeah. Yeah, it's not not as well defined, you know. One would argue anything running on a virtual machine. But it's still a process, and it's still... Yeah, it is a sandbox and it is a process that contains something. I guess I guess the difference is it doesn't look like the entire operating system. You can still reach outside of it, which you can't really do in a container. Right. Yeah. Well, you can, but you have to do it declaratively, right? Yeah. Like, I think that you, yeah. you remember the early days of Windows 8 and the and the quote unquote metro apps where we were going to have to have Trying to clearly forget. Yeah, that clearly delineated communications path. It's really a, a sort of mindset around security, intentionality. Like, how do you impede malware? They, if they declare their intentions, you kind of know if they're being bad. Yeah. Yeah. And what's awesome here with Docker is that those intentions are really clear. Right. And that's really elegant in, you know, documentation and metadata to be able to see what services want to have exposed. And then operations can really um, connect those pieces together. Right. It becomes a great communication platform. Yeah, because you just, you know, all of those rules are, are visible. Uh, yeah. W- on the orchestration engine side, what's the de- sort of decision-making process about how many instances, when do you need to scale, when do you need to scale back? Like, how much el- automation around elasticity is there, actually? There's quite a bit, and that's what makes the different orchestration engines and add-ons even to orchestration engines so interesting, mm-hmm. is that they have different rules there. Do I want to orchestrate it around watching CPU usage or maybe network usage? Yeah. Um, some really interesting things are like, 
I'm going to wait for a request to come in. And when a request comes in, I'm going to go see if I have any active containers. And if I don't, I'm going to go spin one up. Mm. Right. So you could actually drop to a zero state and then right. only light up on, on demand for some instances. What is a typical startup time for a container from cold? That's what's really beautiful about it. When I start up a virtual machine, it takes a good long time. Darn right. When I start yes. up a container, it's a process. Yep. And so, you know, a second, a couple yeah. of seconds, a half a second. Yep. So you, you really so, can't. I mean, per, from, from a web page perspective, that's still a while. Yeah. I'm not going to put my homepage on that. I'm not yeah. going to base my Google search ranking on that. But the API that gets used once a month or the something for a demo where latency is okay, then it's perfectly fine. Anything in an asynchronous message model where it's like the call's already come and gone, the user's moved on, like get write this to the log file, finish that transaction, like all of those kinds of things. Yeah, light them when you need them and then yeah. kill them when you don't. Yeah, exactly. And they, you now you get into this fun little economic game, especially when we talk about public cloud, where how much money am I saving for using this model that I could right. actually reduce mm -hmm. my footprint substantially? And unlike the traditional data center thing where I have to over-provision on the off chance that I get that much traffic, you know, one or two days a year, yep. I can monitor this continuously and I can spin it down. If I notice that my traffic patterns are during business hours or even during the evenings, I can provision more then and spin it down when I don't have that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's very interesting sort of reality around that mindset. And uh, you know, this add interesting aspects to the workflow as you add new things too. If you know when you talk about updating a version, if there's no instances running, well, that's just not going to be that painful, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting stuff. So, what's next for you? What's in your inbox? Well, this is the last day of February, so I'm on my way to um, MVP Summit in Seattle. Yeah, and then I'm going straight from there to Confu in Montreal. Awesome. Nice. So you're playing the time-shifting game with us, too. How about that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, we'll see you at the MVP Summit. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we're all going to be there. Definitely have to hang. The interesting thing is MVP Summit is uh, Monday through Wednesday, yeah. and uh, Kung Fu Montreal is Wednesday through Friday. And mm -hmm. playing the time-shifting game, I lost. Apparently, there's only one Wednesday, even in multiple time zones. <laughs> <laughs> and flying east, you're going to burn up a whole day to get there, because you're going to lose three hours of time. Plus the five or six hours yeah. of the flying. Hmm. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for being here. This has been a great show. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. All right, Rob, take care. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by 
the FCC, yes, I'm a, a dog. 